Welcome to the Humans of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk of change across the entire financial technology industry. Today we are here at Fintech Connect and hearing live from Suresh Bajiani. Suresh is the CEO of Cloud9 and an experienced financial services executive having held senior roles at both FCA regulated companies and leading edge technology companies. At Tri Payments, he was CEO. Prior to this, he was Managing Director and President at Global Processing Services during its rapid growth stage. He is here today to tell us more. Welcome, it's great to have you here. Thank you, thank you for having us. Great, so tell us about Cloud9. So it's, uh, it's not something easy to explain when you're behind the scenes. So I'll explain in a way that kind of makes sense. So when you look at um, a lot of FinTech, you've seen a lot of innovation on the front end, amazing apps, amazing great app experiences, but the technology that sits behind it, the, the plumbing, the piping, the infrastructure, there has been zero innovation for sometimes 20, 30 years. What we've done is actually recreated all of that uh, in a way that it's never been done before. So we are the first processor in the world to connect to Visa and MasterCard's cloud endpoints. We are the first process in the world to be end-to-end -end cloud. What does that mean? It means that we're basically future-proof from a technology perspective. One other bit to add is that for something that hasn't innovated in 20, 30 years, um, it wasn't really made for the data that exists now. So we've made it almost, we made the pipe bigger, ready to do so much more with transactional data in ways that it's never been done before. I love that, you identified a gap that's out there that no one's looked at and you've gone and done it, which is... I feel like it's a, it's a gap that people are aware of, but it's a complicated and costly process to fix and it doesn't do anything for your vanity because it's not something that's seen. It's like your house looks amazing, but your plumbing is terrible. Yeah, yeah. But it makes such a difference to the experience, right? Absolutely. And what you can do with it. So that's where the, the possibilities are endless. So you're here today at FinTech Connect um, and you've got a great space that has just looked incredibly busy the whole of the morning that I found it difficult to find you. So um, tell us what you're getting from this event as an exhibitor. So this is actually, we've been building this platform for over two years. Uh, we've been in stealth um, so for two years. We actually came out of stealth in the last month. Uh, this is the first conference we were exhibiting at. Uh, we thought it would be nice to get a feel in our home kind of city, what the market's saying. We've had massive traction around the world and um, we've had great coverage, but we wanted to get a real feel and, and speak to individuals and hear what they're saying. It's really important to interact with people and have two-way conversations about things. So for us, it's, it's um, getting to meet some partners and clients that we're working with, but also uh, get a feel of what's happening within the market. And I suppose as people ask you questions, they'll probably get you to think about dynamics that, you've, that you actually haven't considered before. That's what I love at events such as this. So tell us a bit more about, about your role. We know you're CEO of Cloud9, but I can just imagine all the things that you're, you're doing day in, day out. And that role, how it's connected to the mission. So um, I think as a CEO, people have different answers. I mean, I would say that when you're a CEO in a startup, you're a kind of general dog's body and you do a bit of everything, right? As the company progresses, you get more involved in specific areas. Now, I would say the role of any CEO is ultimately hiring people that are better than you, which a lot of people don't do. Secondly, is removing the obstacles that they have in front of them in order for them to deliver their goals. 
that's really it. I mean, your role is to use your seniority to remove obstacles for them to get their job done. Um, my day-to-day -day runnings are, are everything from being involved with client conversations, engaged with technology, talking with regulators, um, the hardest bit is managing the different time zones with the different clients who work with us. Like, yeah, I bet, because you are so global. Your background is super impressive. Like, just before we started recording, you were just telling us just such fascinating things about the industry as it was 10, 15, 20 plus years ago. Tell us a little bit about your career successes, highlights. I think I've been very fortunate that I've, I've worked with many of the leading fintechs right from the early stages. One of the things that I feel uh, has been a great success is, is the, the, the kind of learning mindset. I, I used to have senior positions and I would attend meetings with people that I don't know, but I wouldn't always tell them what my position is because I didn't want to change the dynamics of a room. But the successes are, you know, I was working with uh, Revolut when it was just an idea on a piece of paper. I remember working the money flows. I used to be a, um, a PaySafe group then, and I was actually their bin sponsor. And they had this idea, they weren't sure about how the money flow would work. And we literally went through the whole model and you saw something, and actually I've still got their regional business plan at home. Their funding that they had was 78,000 pounds. That was their funding. <laughs> wow. And their forecast, which this is gonna be interesting, was that they were going to issue 15,000 cards in the first year and I think 40,000 in year two. And I was like, actually, I think this is gonna do more. I think it's gonna do about 60,000. Ended up doing over a million. Wow. But in some ways, I took them more seriously because they, they were using low numbers. You meet clients that say, I'm gonna do a million this and a million that. It could be the best idea on earth, but you never take them seriously. You end up taking people with lower figures seriously. And I think it's something that people feel like they need to impress, where actually being realistic and under-assuming actually achieves great more, lot more. I think that's really good advice to people listening to this, because I can imagine there's many people thinking about what, what their next venture will be. And just hearing that advice from you, who's been through so many iterations in different companies, it's great to hear. Um, how important, and I know this is a question that you will really enjoy answering, but how important is it that firms, especially now, are subscribing to an inclusive culture creation? When you look at organizations looking at diversity and inclusion, I would say, and you may disagree with me, that there's a lot of people doing this as a tick box exercise. They are like, we're very diverse, we do this, we hold events, they sponsor events, they might rent their rooms out and give them out free for, for diversity meetings, and they feel like that ticks their diversity agenda. What I would say is that if diversity and inclusivity is done right, the benefits of the company are phenomenal from a revenue perspective, from a business perspective, right? And the analogy I would say to you is this, is that if you have, I've worked with banks where they wanted to launch a new bank. You know, they're like, we're gonna create a neo bank and it's gonna be phenomenal. And everybody came from an old bank. And they're like, well, what makes it different? Well, we're gonna have an app and there's gonna be no branches. Well, I'm like, well, isn't that the same as what you've got now? Like, what's actually different? There's no new ideas there. And the other thing I would say to you is that diversity goes beyond race and gender. And I have said this to you before, but if you had five people on stage that were male, female, brown, black, 
and they all studied at Oxford University, I would say to you that is not an accurate measure of diversity. I would actually say that you could have four middle-aged men on stage where one came from a, a, an underprivileged background that grew up in a council estate, that dropped out of university. And actually, they may all look the same, but their views and opinions are fundamentally different. Now, if a company embraces this, they will have different perspective on things and they will be able to innovate in ways that they've never seen before. And it's all about upbringing and background. So I would say that people that tend to hire people that are similar to them, there's restrictions to how much you grow. If you want to really push the boundaries, if you really want to achieve great success in your company, revenue-wise, new ideas, you get a broad pool, right? You have a football team, the skills of a goalkeeper are very different from your attacker. They have different skills, they have different backgrounds, the way they've been trained. And the same applies to when you build a team as a company. And I think many people don't see that. And, and it's something that they, they feel like it's out of their comfort zone. Really powerful words and the way you've explained that, like I absolutely love it. Imagining those people on stage and imagining their difference of opinion, perspective, background, super powerful. There's a lot to unpack in that, and especially for somebody who hasn't embraced inclusion or culture creation to include everybody and actively do so. What would be your call to action with regards to what people could start with? What one thing they could take away so and implement that? So people always say, what's the first mark, right? Or, 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 and, and they expect me to say, this is a marathon, you know, not a race. <laughs> but the truth is, it's actually a constant journey, right? And what people, what they do is they, they kind of um, overestimate what they can do in the short term. And what they can do in the long term is the reverse. If there was one thing that I would say to people they should do right now, and it doesn't take a lot of effort. Every time you advertise for a role, every time you get a CV that comes in that doesn't quite look right, doesn't quite fit what you want it to look like, because they don't have the experience, because they may even be a spending mistake in there, right? And someone's like, I'm never going to hire anybody that's spelling mistake. They don't have the experience. Why have they applied? These are the exact people that you should be meeting face to face. Because these are people that are trying to better themselves, are going out of their comfort zone to try for something. They may well not be the right candidate, but normally they would never get to the interview stage. If you just did that, you would be shocked at the talent pool that you can untap. And these people, if you give them an opportunity they've never had before, they will go to ends of the earth and they will be far loyal for you than the person that has worked at the most established organisations that every three years leaves. Well, it's just brilliant hearing from you, like a true ally in the space, a true advocate in the space. Like I, I use my phrase, walk the talk, and you truly walk the talk in everything that you're doing. So it's such a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. So thank you for joining us on the Humans of Fintech podcast here today at Fintech Connect. Thank you.